Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, founder of Alzheimer's Speaks resource website and blog. My passion is to educate the world um, because of my experience with my mom on a 30-year journey of memory loss. For those of you that are new to our show, I want to give you a brief introduction about the show in and of itself. Our goal here is really to give voice to those afflicted um, with memory loss and empower them to live a purpose-filled life. And we really want to help raise awareness, give hope, and share the real-life, everyday stories of living with Alzheimer's. And we can't do that alone. So I'm so glad that you're with us today. Rick Phelps is our channel expert, and Rick actually has Alzheimer's disease. He was diagnosed last June, and he is the founder of Memory People on Facebook. And then our musical advocate is singer-songwriter J.P., And JP won't be with us today, but he allows us to use his music. So he's here with us in spirit in the opening and close with Think Ahead, Go to Head, which is all about opening our minds to new ways. So if you haven't had a chance to go to JP's YouTube channel, I really urge you to do that because he has an absolutely fantastic video about his journey with his dad called How the Times Are Changed. And all you have to do is go to our home page to find the links for all three of us, and uh, we would be glad uh, to have you join us on this journey with Alzheimer's disease. One more thing I want to cover before we get started is just if you have any questions, you can either go to the chat um, box and go ahead and write something in there, or you can call into the number on the screen and then press 1, and you'll raise your hand, and I'll try to get um, to your question um, sometime during the show. So with that, let's go ahead and kick off. I'd like to introduce you to um, Alan. Alan Arnett um, is just uh, an amazing man, and he has been touched by Alzheimer's disease through a journey with his mother, And as we know, Alzheimer's disease affects not just the person diagnosed, but it really truly has this ripple effect, and it touches everybody that they love and work with. And our own audience is proof of just that. So millions of people throughout the world have been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, and the numbers are just going to continue to grow in leaps and bounds. And Alan himself, again, has been touched by this ripple effect. He has now become what I call a ripple maker. He's an advocate to bring awareness to the world and raise money through his mission to climb seven summits. His venture is not alone as he's supported and funded by Janssen and Pfizer, and this collaboration allows all of the money that Alan raises to go directly to the causes he supports. So not one nickel even passes through Alan's hands. And he's looking at supporting the Cure Alzheimer's Fund, which targets research 
and then the National um, Family Caregivers Association. Alan, did I miss any other organizations that you're raising fund, funds for? Is it primarily just those two? Well, that's, those are the primary ones, Lori, and the Alzheimer's Association has recently uh, started to uh, help us promote the, the project as well. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Well, to kick off here, I, I definitely want to get to your whole project and venture that you're working on, but I, I would like to get a little personal side um, of your story. So if you wouldn't mind telling us a little bit about yourself and how you're connected to Alzheimer's disease. Sure. And first off, thanks, thanks, Lori, for having me. And Rick, it's great to be on the uh, on the air with you as well. Um, you know, I'm probably very representative of, of a lot of people out there um, living living life. Everything's going along just fine. And uh, I was living in Colorado. My brother lived on the West Coast, and my parents lived in Memphis, Tennessee. And um, you know, we got to see everybody got together maybe once, uh, occasionally twice a year, and. Uh, life was going good until all of a sudden we started to notice that my mom, uh, her memory started to seem like it's it's, uh, lapsing. And, Lori, you know, you've experienced this with your mom. And um, we started, you know, well, maybe this is just aging. And we'd ask my parents about this. But over 50 years of marriage, uh, they had developed a, a great ability to cover for one another. And so we never really were sure quite what was happening, uh, but this, the warning signs kept getting stronger and stronger. Well, fast forward to one day my dad was in the hospital in a very serious condition, and um, you know, he'd lived a long, good life. He was in his middle 80s and had some serious health problems. And my, in the process of me talking to my mother about this, it was just the two of us, she looked at me and she said, who are you? And it was at that moment that I think I internalized that this was not just normal aging or maybe slight dementia, but there was something serious going on. So one thing led to another, including many doctor visits, and she was diagnosed with um, with the early um, stages of Alzheimer's, and it, um, it literally uh, just uh, progressed from that point forward. Do you remember how you felt, I mean, at that moment, I mean, what went through your mind and, um, you know, just, I mean, because I remember with my my own mom, when moments like that hit me, it was just like surreal, like, really? (laughs) How did we get here or how did I miss this or, um, you know, how did did we just jump into that point or was it just total acceptance and let's move forward? What were were your thoughts? You know, a lot of what you just said, uh, we were actually sitting in a restaurant. Uh, we were having breakfast, and we were in a booth, and, you know, we'd gone through the normal breakfast ordering process, and she appeared to be just fine, and she ordered, uh, you know, scrambled eggs or whatever it was, and and um, she loved her coffee uh, just um, just as hot as it could possibly be. And so she was, you know, complaining about coffee and, you know, in the way my mom complained, which was almost like a compliment. And... Um, and then all of a sudden she said, you know, who are you? And it was just this moment. It was surreal. It's exactly the right word. I, I was for a moment I was in shock, and I said, Mom, I'm Alan. I'm, and she says, No, you're not. And I said, Well, who do you think I am? And she goes, Well, I don't know. And I said, Well, how many children do you have? And this blank expression came across her face, and she kind of looked off and had that thousand yard stare in her eyes and. I could tell that she just couldn't. She she was not able to bring up how many children that she had, or that her husband of 
55 years was just across the street in the intensive care ward and it was and all of a sudden it was there was this sinking feeling that I had of oh my gosh I live in Colorado she's in Memphis my father is probably not going to make it out of the hospital how are we going to get through this and to complicate things I was on my way over to Europe on a business trip and it was everything just kind of came crashing down and it was a moment or two of not sure what was going to happen but then I looked at my mom and I said mom I'm Alan and it's going to be okay and I knew that the, the most important priority was just to show her love and see her through this even though I wasn't quite sure you know what the what the real problem was yeah, what the process was when you when you mentioned about her, you know, not knowing you, I'll never forget the story. My my dad tell, told us all about my mom. They went out to dinner with a bunch of friends and some acquaintances. So some people didn't know my parents really well, and the guys were at one end of the table, and the women were all at the other. And it was, you know, a couple of big eight foot tables all put together. And somebody asked my mom, you know, Dorothy, how many kids do you have? And my dad said, you know, she just got this blank stare in her face and with a big smile leaned over the table and looked at my dad and said, Dean, how many kids do we have? And my dad just <laughs> laughed because that's what we do in our family, you know. And he said, well, I don't know about you, but I got three. And then they all broke out laughing and then no one ever talked about it again, you know. Right. And it was just a real um, – but. But humor sometimes can help release the process, but you still have to get back to the nuts and bolts of of maneuvering through it. Now, did you have siblings to be able to help you, or were you are you an only child? Or uh, I have one brother, and uh, he was uh, living on the west coast of the U.S., and uh, so it really uh, it was very difficult for him. Well, obviously, he he helped, and we you know talked all the time going through the process, and and um, yeah, and ultimately. Uh, you know, he and I made the joint decision on um, on uh, hospice facilities towards the end. But um, yeah, he was very supportive, and so I wasn't in this by myself. And my mom has um, eight brothers and sisters, so um, and they all lived in that kind of that that uh, part of Tennessee and Kentucky. So a uh, lots of extended family in that area that was um, that was available, and and you know, a couple in particular were just uh, just real lifesavers and and helping out. So. That's another thing I think that's critically important for for caregivers to to draw upon the extended family and all the other resources that are available to us these days now that we really kind of understand what's happening with this disease better than we have in the past. Sure. Now, when when your mom went through the testing process, how was that um, for both her and you um, as a family member? How how did you feel the medical staff, you know, treated you and you know, the process in and of itself? Um, because I think people are always looking for clues in ways to be able to improve or to make sure they do certain things that are really working for families. Do you, Were you at that process um, when she was formally tested? You know, I, I was not. Um, I did I did speak with, um, you know, with the doctor afterwards. And, um, you know, I was not... A hundred percent satisfied with with the um, with what was described to me as what they went through some simple memory tests, you know some questions, but as we know, um, you know having a definitive diagnosis on Alzheimer's is is only a through an autopsy, but um, at least that's my understanding. 
Um, so I wasn't totally uh, comfortable with what it, you know, what, what that process was. But by the same token, at this point, my mom was in her mid seventies, um, and just my own observation showed that um, that the the memory keeper of our family and the hub of our family uh, had changed in such a dramatic way that that it was clearly not normal aging. And uh, we and there, she, two of her sisters, um, had also gone through this whole the same process and had been uh, diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Um, and one was uh, fairly advanced, one of her younger sisters. So, on one hand, it was not it, there was no need to go and try to question it because the you know her behavior and just the evidence was just right there that there was something going on and we needed to to do the best that we could through our understanding to take care of her at that point. Sure. Rick, do you have any comments on, you know, when you got diagnosed, how that process went for you? And It was, uh, well, first of all, I want to say hi to Alan and thank him for what he's doing for bringing awareness to this uh, terrible disease. I'm sorry what he's going through with his mother. and uh, but, but what I went through was basically about the same thing. It took me, uh, I had... Uh, a diagnosis a year ago, but uh, I had symptoms in 2003, and it took me uh, four trips to my local doctor and three different neurologists before I ever did get a, a full diagnosis, and it's not the one that I wanted, but it's the one I ended up with, and like I said, we knew something was wrong. We we was hoping for a brain tumor, a stream, it had been something better than, than the Alzheimer's diagnosis, but once you get it, uh, you, you, you learn to, to and, and go forward and, and, and fight, fight, you know, and what's doing, you know, awareness to this disease. It's the main thing, you know, and one day at a time and just forward. Yep, exactly. Um, Alan, do you, do you remember any significant shift in terms of your relationship with your mom? I mean, some people really say, you know, it's not my mom anymore, and they, they look at it like the person has totally changed. Others, pe- Other people, like myself, feel that their relationship has really enhanced. And, you know, for me it's been a gift because it's made me slow down and appreciate the small little things that I wasn't so appreciative of before. And it, it's really changed my life in, in a positive way. How do you How do you view the disease? And its impact with you and your relationship with your mother. Well, I, yeah, I don't think it dramatically um, changed it because uh, my mom and I were always pretty close. She was always very she was very business oriented. Um, she, uh, you know, she worked as soon as she could after she got my brother and I to around age ten. She went back to work, and um, and I was in the in, while well, I was developing my career of. 30 years working um, at HP, she was always very interested in what was going on there, and and um, very supportive of of me and, and you know in my family and everything else. So none of that really changed in the beginning. But what I did find, and and from my understanding, this is not uncommon, was that after a while, it was clear that that she no longer recognized or identified me as her son, but just as this really nice man that would come and see her or that would talk to her on the phone, or that would take her out for lunch, or that would spend time with her. And um, and 
it became a little uncomfortable because you know I was her son and she was kind of looking at me as as you know as a as a really good you know friend and I kept you know occasionally I would say well mom you know remember when we did this when I was a baby or something and of course she had difficulty remembering that and but you could tell that she was she became a little confused and so over time I kind of stopped referring to anything about my childhood and just really tried to be there um, as her friend and uh, and to kind of simplify our relationship in that respect. Well, I think that that was a smart move. I know my brothers both get really upset with my mom. She's in a very young stages, and, you know, this has been a long journey, over 30 years for our family, and my brother would get really, really upset, uh, um, especially my older brother, saying, you know, why doesn't she know me? I just it doesn't make any sense. And I said, you know, she's living in the past, Mark. I said, look in the mirror. You look like Uncle Chuck, her brother, <laughs> when he was younger. And so, you know, we didn't exist. She's not even married probably in her mind. And, I mean, all we can do as caregivers is kind of guess some of those things. But if we can put that into perspective and just realize what a compliment to be a nice person and for her to want to be around you. And, and to really simplify things that, you know, that really is enough um, if yeah, they're happy. Exactly. You know, she would confuse um, her – when she would talk about dad, which is what we would always call my father, Jim, uh, her husband, Jim, we, we always called him dad. When she started talking about dad, she was really talking about her father, my grandfather. And once I began to understand that – then you know there was no point in trying to correct her, so to speak, but going with the flow. And the point was in that moment having that conversation and stimulating those memories and watching her smile and remembering those good memories which are deep inside of all of us and just enjoying the moment. And that's what I kind of learned over the time was was that you know whether the moment was looking at a uh, a picture and she commented on the colors or commenting on, on a music uh, piece and she said, oh, that's so pretty, that music is so pretty. It didn't matter what it was. As long as it brought a smile to her face or a, a laugh at that moment, that's what it was all about. Yeah, and those are the things that we'll remember. You know, I'm I'm a firm believer that, you know, as a society, we choose to remember three things typically – what saddens us, what scares us, and what brings us joy. And if we if we look at it as as being that simple, it's really easy to pick what to focus on, because you know what we are looking for is what we're going to pull towards us and what we're going to see. And our memories aren't just for us; they're for everybody else around us. You know, it, it's kind of that ripple effect with with what our memories are and what our perspectives are. We can share those, and so. For me, once I, I realized that really there's only three things <clears throat> that we really, you know, savor in this life and that really hang on, it's like, well, I know what I'm going to focus on. I know what I'm going to look for, um, and it's all about joy, and that's where appreciating those little things have been such a gift and so calming to me and to give up that control, too, of thinking that you can fix it um, or to rationalize it because we're we're not in control that is uh, that just takes such a weight off i think as a caregiver um and speaking of caregivers do you have any recommendations for caregivers um dealing with uh you know a loved one with memory loss 
You know, I think there's three things I always think about. The first one is, is to take care of yourself as a caregiver. Um, it's so easy to have your life uh, consumed by your loved one, which is absolutely appropriate, but you have to also take care of yourself. You've got to have the ability to take a time out to go off and continue to live your life, and that's what your loved one would want. Um, so take care of yourself. The second is to utilize resources that are available in your community. There are, you know, there are classes like, for example, the Alzheimer's Association has some wonderful classes they teach on how on, for caregivers. Um, and, and the third is uh, is to don't forget. We've already made this point a couple of times indirectly, but I want to make it directly because it was so important with my mom. Is that use of humor? Um, you know. It, I, I would be interested in Rick's comment here because I'm being a little presumptuous because I'm not – I don't have Alzheimer's, but I watched my mom, and I was phenomenally close to her. And, you know, on one hand, we talk about what a devastating disease it is um, and how difficult it is. And I think that sometimes those sometimes, – sometimes those those adjectives apply more to the caregivers than to the individual, especially as, as the disease progresses. It's so difficult for the caregivers to watch their loved one go through this. I'm not sure my mother ever really internalized what was happening to her, even though I had long conversations with her. It would you know, ultimately result in going off to some other minor subject very, very quickly after we, after we talked about you know, how what a serious condition that she was in. So. Well, Rick, do you have some thoughts on that? Well... Uh, Alan, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, and, and you're absolutely correct when you say humor. Um, this disease is very devastating, but but the caregiver is the one that has to watch the patient slip a little bit every day. I say that time and time again. What I try to do here at the house, I try to interject a little bit of humor. I've always been like that, and, and occasionally, it doesn't work out so much anymore, but occasionally I'll uh, stick a skillet in the freezer, and uh, the wife will come home and She'll be cooking dinner, and she'll open up the freezer, and she'll see the skillet, and she's like, she'll just look at me, and I'm like, what? She'll say, are you okay? I'm like, hey, my. Well, there's a skillet in the freezer, and I'm just, you know, I like to keep her on her toes, you know. And of course, <laughs> I love that, it. Is, that is well, making fun and making fun of the disease and stuff like that, but you truly have to interject. You've got to. I know in speaking engagements and stuff, I, I try to get the audience. Uh, laughing because I'm telling you, it's it's such a it's such a tough disease to even talk about. And when just like when I'm diagnosed with this a year ago, sure it's a, it's a terminal disease, it's terminal. Nobody's going to get out. And, and the deal is, every day the force that I'm not I'm not sick at all. You know I'm a very healthy thing. I want I just can't remember things. And I try to tell people, just remember, I've always been, remember things, you know. And I try to spread awareness exactly. I'm going to find the GEO. Alan, can you hear him okay? I'm I'm hearing Rick kind of cut out a little bit. Are you, Can you hear him okay? No, I'm hearing the same cutouts. Okay, okay. Yes. You know. Well, I think what, Rick, I don't mean to cut you off, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to move on because I want to get um, to what Alan is doing with his seven um, summit climb. And if you can explain a little bit about um, your mission and what what that's all about, that'd be wonderful. 
Uh, yeah, I'm glad to, Lori. So uh, it's a shame we, Rick's phone is cutting out on us because I think he was making some wonderful points. Here. I love your story of the skillet and the refrigerator story. Um, so when as I learned more about the whole Alzheimer's situation relative to um, what, you know, that there was no cure for the disease, um, that the treatments, um, you know, really only treated symptoms, uh, as I became more educated on it, I just felt very compelled that I wanted to make a difference in, in the in the Alzheimer's community. And uh, I started climbing big mountains back when I was uh, at around age 38. So I'm 54 now. So I wasn't one of these guys that started climbing mountains living in the back of my car when I was you know a teenager. I went and got a career, and then I decided to go climb these mountains. Well, um, through the process, I created a website that had a pretty good following over a million visitors a year. And I started thinking, wow, what if I combine my passion of mountain climbing with trying to educate people and raise money and awareness uh, on behalf of, of Alzheimer's and honoring my mom and, and all the people that have it and the families that are impacted by this. So um, I came up with this idea that if you're going to do something like this, then think big. So I decided I was going to go climb the seven summits, and these are each one is the highest mountain on each continent. So, for example, in North America, that's Mount Denali up in Alaska, and in Asia is Mount Everest. And furthermore, I decided I wanted to do this in a year um, and set a goal of raising a million dollars for research and trying to raise the public's um, awareness of the disease that Alzheimer's is not just a an old person's disease, that it can hit people in their 50s or 40s through early onset, and that it's a disease just like cancer or diabetes, and that there's no cure, and that we needed to have more research in order to find a cure for the disease. So that was my mission. That was my objective. And I set out trying to find a partner that I could help, not only with the funding of it, because it's a fairly expensive endeavor, but more importantly was the uh, the public awareness and the, and the communications. And I am forever grateful to uh, Janssen Alzheimer's Immunotherapy, uh, Janssen AI, and Pfizer uh, through their uh, venture called Janssen or the Alzheimer's Immunotherapy Program. They uh, sponsor, they're paying 100% of all the climbing costs, and they are helping to promote uh, the, the whole process, the whole project. We had a big rollout back in November that we reached about 20 million people through um, television and radio interviews all the way from Florida to Hawaii to New Hampshire uh, over a period of about two hours from Colorado Springs. And so we've really been able to reach millions of people uh, and help to raise the awareness of this disease. We've raised, I'm not, I don't have a current tally, but um, we're a little short of our million-dollar goal, way short of our million-dollar goals, tough in this economy. But raising the awareness is what this is all about. Um, and I'm, I've been able to stand on the highest mountain on, uh, on Antarctica back in December, and there I uh, dedicated that summit to all those people with early onset. And then... Um, and then I summited the highest mountain in South America in January, and that summit was dedicated to um, all the family caregivers. And then just um, actually on May 21st, so about three weeks ago, I stood on the summit of Mount Everest. And uh, there I dedicated that summit to my mom and to all the moms out there with Alzheimer's. So next up is uh, the highest in North America, Denali, and then the rest of them throughout 2011. Wonderful. Well, that is so exciting. So when do you venture out again? When uh, I don't even know the terms you use, Alan, because <laughs> I'm not a little hiking here or there, but that's about it. So what would the proper term be for your venture? 
Well, Lori, you can come along with me on, on any of the climbs. Um, is uh, the next one is the next climb, next exp- expedition is to uh, is to uh, Denali up in Alaska, and actually I leave next Saturday for that one. Oh wow! And how long do you think it, it'll take you to get to the peak? That was a pretty quick one. That's about three weeks. Everest was nine weeks, but uh, Denali, assuming the weather cooperates, because that's the problem with that one. It's windy and cold. But I hope to reach that one sometime around uh, July, between July 10th and July 13th. And people can follow us on uh, through the website, um, climb4ad.com, or through our Facebook page, which is just Facebook backslash climb4ad, the number four. Oh, wonderful. That links you to and that links you to all sorts of stuff. It links you to my blog, which I I post pictures and dispatches directly from the climbs, and I talk about you know, what the climbs are, how they also make the parallels to Alzheimer's. And that's really what, you know, I make the parallels and make the linkage between the climbing and what Alzheimer's is all about. As I jokingly say, Lori, if I could sing or dance, I'd do that to raise money, but I don't. So I climb mountains. <laughs> well, you've got more talent than I do, you know. I, I can talk. So. <laughs> uh, I, I just have to compliment you so much on not only your journey and what you what you are doing to raise awareness, I think is absolutely incredible, but your partnership, you know, with Pfizer and Janssen and you know the um, Alzheimer's Association and the the Fund for the Cure and the National Caregivers Association. If people have not gone to that website in his blog, you really are doing yourself a disjustice because my gosh, the photographs alone. And the video, and you know, he's sitting there doing, you know, podcasts from the peak. <laughs> you know, it's it's quite incredible to watch the journey. And don't you have kind of a GPS system that shows where you're at on the mountains as you're climbing too, if I'm not mistaken? I do. In fact, when I called from the summit of Mount Everest to my wife Kathy, I called up and I and I squeaked out. I made it, and she says, "I know, I can see you on the map." <laughs> and so she was. I have this little device uh, uh, called the Spot. It uploads every ten minutes my GPS coordinates and goes to a map, and then people can follow my um, my progress on the on the climbs through that. And again, the links are all on on the website that we just mentioned. Yep, and they're also on the the Alzheimer's Speaks Radio episode, so they can get to them uh, right from there as well. Um, and we really would urge people to go ahead and sign up to donate. You know, I looked at your site, and it's I think it's just fantastic the way you've broken it down. People can can um, donate even a penny a foot, which ranges from $13 to $196, depending on the mountain. And if somebody wanted to take on, you know, a penny a foot for for all seven summits, it would be less than $2.25 a day. And, Less than a know, cup your, of coffee. Yeah, and your investment is is not only protecting your own future, but your family and your friends and your children, because this disease is not going away. I mean, we've got a long ways to go before there's a cure, and we we need all the research available, and we need tools, you know, to assist families um, through this process. Um, Rick, do you have any uh, any comments? I don't know if you've had a chance to kind of check out. Alan's website at all? and uh, Yes, I did, Lori. matter of fact, like you said, the, the photos themselves are just stunning. I want to apologize for my little phone problem I had there, but I was 
I was saying, I was just uh, thanking Alan for what he's doing. It's just amazing. And uh, this this disease, he's, he's, he's when I tell people in my talks that he's taking it to another level, well, Alan is at the top of the peak now. He's he's the man when you, when you start talking about taking the Alzheimer's awareness to another level because when you're climbing seven mountains, uh, well, Alan, you, you're just an amazing man, and, and, and I'm so honored to be able to talk to you. No, I appreciate that. It's for you, Rick, and for the 25 million other people and families around the world. This is all about you guys, not about me, not about mountain climbing. It's about this horrible disease. Well, thank you so much, Alan, for all you're doing. I know that you need to get running here because it's a little after 3.30, and I want to I be respectful of your time. Um, we're going to be having uh, Clay um, Johnson join us here in a little bit. He's not online yet, but hopefully he'll be calling in here shortly. But, again, thank you so much, Alan, for sharing your story and and all you're doing um, for the disease. It's just incredible. And um, I just respect you so much. So thank you. Well, thank you, Lori. I really appreciate this opportunity to, to uh, be a guest on your talk radio and, and also with Rick. So thanks again. Okay, you have a great day. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Good Alan. See you. Okay, Rick, what I am going to do, this is a little unusual, but I'm going to have you, if you wouldn't mind, just talk a little bit um, while I make a call and see if I can get um, get Clay on the line. And if you wouldn't mind talking and maybe telling people a little bit what's going on with memory people, and you've got so many irons in the fire with your book and your documentary. If you're open to sharing that, that would be absolutely fantastic. Sure. Okay, right now? thank you. Yep, that would be wonderful. Right now? Yep. Yep, if okay. you want to go ahead and talk a little bit about that, and then sure. I'll try to get Clay on the line here. Okay? Oh, sure. sure. Well, like Gloria was saying, uh, I do have a lot of irons in the fire. I've... Uh, I've got, I think, uh, the way my writer talks now, we've got uh, two chapters of my book uh, pretty well finished. It's called, uh, we title it, While I Still Can. And the reason we come up with that title is because that's what I say about 90% of the time. I'm always in a hurry to try to get things done while I still can because with this disease, it kind of kind of throws you. You just don't know if you've got, uh, I tell people all the time, I don't know what I have six months or six years to be able to communicate the way I can now. So uh, that we thought that was a real appropriate title. And uh, memory people, I can't uh, talk about that site enough. It's uh, it's a closed Facebook site for those of you who may not know and anyone that's interested in joining you just, uh, if you have a Facebook site, just type in memory people in your search engine and it'll take you to us. And click on join and uh, we'll surely get you signed up. and. What we do there is uh, bring awareness and offer support. We have over, we're pushing real close to a thousand members now, and that's not a huge number. But uh, the the thing about that is, each and every one of us have one thing in common, and that's uh, this this terrible disease. We're either a patient, a caregiver, advocate, or or just someone that uh, wants to learn about this disease and educate themselves. Uh, we have members there from members there from all over the United States and uh, all over the world. We have them from the United Kingdom and Australia and Canada and England itself, and uh, it's it's a wonderful site. Um, I can't thank the people there enough. Everybody, a lot of times, I get a lot of praise and thank you for creating this site, and which which I was very happy to do. But 
it's not about me. It's about the site itself because uh, if it wasn't for each and every one of them people that's on there, I'd be sitting there talking to myself. So uh, it's it's a real-time thing. If you join memory people and you have any questions about Alzheimer's or if you just want to, you know, post some comments or things, there's someone there all the time because, like I said, we have people there from all over the world, and that covers just about every time zone you could imagine. So uh, if you log on memory people at 2 o'clock in the morning, you're going to be able to chat with someone because uh, someone's generally there 99% of the time. We wanted to set it up that way because uh, when you have this disease, you you have a problem with your short-term memory, and you can't... Uh-oh. Hello? Hi. Rick, I think I think we have Clay on the line here. Clay, oh, are you good. here? Good. Yes, I'm here. Okay. I'm just going to let Rick finish um, talking, what he, kind of wrapping up, and then we'll roll into you. But we'll let Rick go Absolutely. ahead and finish what he was saying, okay? Okay. okay. Well, all I was saying is that it, it, it is a short-term memory thing, and you can't, uh, if you go to some sites and if you post something and you have to wait one or two or three days, you know, you have a problem remembering what your original post was. So it is real time, and, uh, and we're, we're, we're doing good things there. We're changing lives. So, uh, if uh, you'd like to introduce Clay, I'd, I'd certainly like to hear from him. Okay, wonderful. Well, next up here we have Clay Johnson. He is an Emmy um, and DuPont Award-winning broadcast journalist. And the DuPont Award is a broadcast equivalent to the Pulitzer, so that's pretty heavy duty. So congratulations there, Clay. He is the documentary producer for WRAL-TV, which is a CBS affiliate in Raleigh, North Carolina, which is a top 25 TV market. Clay is also a contributing producer for UNC-TV, North Carolina's statewide PBS network, and he's a visiting lecturer and um, adjunct uh, faculty member at Duke University where he teaches a course in television journalism. I invited Clay to come and talk uh, to us today about his newly released documentary on Alzheimer's disease called Lolo. And so, Clay, I want to welcome welcome you to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm sure our listeners are going to have some questions and comments as we proceed. And and my guess is that Rick Phelps, um, with memory people, probably will have some as he's just starting the process of actually being involved in a documentary himself. So, again, I want to let people know uh, prior to the questions starting here, if you want to raise your hand if you're a live caller, um, just press 1, or you can always type in a question in the chat box, and I'll, I'll try to maneuver this while the technology is new to me, but we'll do the best we can. So welcome, Clay. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Good to be here. Um, first off, I want to know, um, it's always just nice to know if, if Alzheimer's has touched you personally in any fashion, if a family member or friend or uh, co-worker, um, you know, if that's ever been something that, that touched you personally. It hasn't really touched me personally or directly, but I do have friends and I do have co-workers who have had parents with Alzheimer's and who have recently dealt with, with caring for their parents. Okay. Well, great. Yeah, it's unusual where somebody doesn't know somebody, um, even if it's not in their direct family um, with the disease. So can you well, I now know Lolo. <laughs> I now <laughs> know Lolo. So. 
Well, that's wonderful. Can you tell us a little bit about how the documentary came to be? One of our reporters, Cullen Browder, he was actually on vacation and and just stumbled upon a man by the name of David Simpson, and they struck up a conversation. David is a, a lobbyist here in North Carolina for the General Assembly, and uh, Cullen typically covers the legislature, and so they sort of struck up a conversation. In the course of the conversation, Dave talked about his mother, Lois Shulbred, whose nickname is Lolo, and talked a lot about uh, her situation, uh, that she had Alzheimer's and, and uh, the struggles that the family was dealing with trying to adjust to caring for a loved one with Alzheimer's. And through the conversation, uh, David suggested possibly doing a story about Lolo and, and granted uh, some pretty unusual access, the kind of access that a lot of folks might not normally offer to a television reporter, and that is to come and just spend time with them, with Lolo, at home, uh, and in various settings over at the dementia care facility where she is. So uh, Cullen started producing uh, a series of uh, news reports on our evening newscast about Lolo. It didn't take long to realize that there was a, a... an interesting story there, a bigger story there, and that they were capturing a lot of very intimate behind-the-scenes sort of footage and detail that was really more than they could ever use in a series of short news reports in a newscast. And so he came to me and he said, he told me about what they had and what they were getting and said, you know, I think this would be a great documentary. And I went to my management and they agreed. And so we started work on a documentary about Lolo using uh, hours of footage that Cullen and his photographer, uh, Greg Clark, had captured uh, you know, over at the dementia care facility at the Simpson family home, um, at some family gatherings, out in public, just different places uh, where Lolo <clears throat> was, the camera crew would follow. And I spent you know, a lot of time going through all that footage and then figuring out how to best tell this story, and we went out and shot some additional material and put it together. Wonderful. Now, it looks like we've got a caller on the line with a question, so I'm just going to pull them up here. Uh, is this Kathy? Yeah, Kathy. hi. How are you? Not too bad. I you have you guys question? are on tonight. Yeah. Did you have a question for, for Clay at all? No, I just I have a comment. I think it is so great the way this awareness is getting out there, and all because of you and Rick and all of us affected by this. It's it's amazing, but it's wonderful. Well, we're all working together here, and that's what it takes. So, Okay, well, wonderful. Thank you so much for your comment. I'm going to put you back on mute, and we can get back to Clay, okay? Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. Well, and let me just say one thing about what Kathy said. is uh, Dave Simpson, uh, Lolo's son, uh, that was his primary motivation in, in speaking to a television reporter and encouraging a real intimate behind-the-scenes look at his mother was to try to raise public awareness about not only the disease's impact on people, but on the the loved ones, obviously, uh, of that person who has Alzheimer's. I mean, you know, Dave, and I'm sure you've heard others say this, that, you know, we're we're the ones that that really suffer more than she does at this point. Um, And he really wanted people to understand some of the issues surrounding that, the cost issue, how expensive dementia care is, how hard it is to find uh, good care, um, how overwhelming it can be, you know, once the diagnosis is made. 
just to figure out what to do and where to turn. And he had to go and bring her. She was living in Charleston, South Carolina. He had to go get her because she was not able to care for themselves anymore. And he had to bring her home and and move her temporarily into their home. And so he wanted to to let people know know, what a challenge that is and all the different issues that come up in hopes that it might help other people struggling with the same situation. Wonderful. And I've actually talked with, with David, and he's agreed to come on the show. He's a little crazy right now with work. Um, so we're hoping either next week or the following week to be able to have him on the show and and get his perspective of the documentary as well. So um, it, it, I think it will be really interesting. Now, you just released um, the film yesterday, correct? That's right. And um, can you tell people how they can how they can access it? Yes, um, the this, the documentary is available for viewing anytime on demand on our website, and that's wral.com. And if you go to the homepage, there's two ways you can find the documentary. You can click on the news tab and then the documentaries tab, and there will be a list of documentaries. Logo will be the very first one. It'll be right there, and you just click the play button and play it. Um, the other way to do that is go to the home page, and in the search box, just type the words WRAL and then DOC for doc, and search that, and it will take you to the documentary. Okay, wonderful. Now, this process of, of doing the documentary, how long did it take you? Um, you know, I know you had some prior um, footage that you used, but then you added on to that, and I'm sure just uh, snipping and clipping and trying to put it all together. What, how long a journey was that? It's a little hard to say because we're always working on uh, a couple of projects, sometimes as many as three simultaneously. So we might be working on, you know, Lolo one day and something else the next. Um, so it's hard to say exactly how many days or hours, but it, the process of, you know, capturing uh, Lolo in these various situations uh, began with Greg Clark shooting back in uh, November, um, and we just finished up the documentary last week. But we had uh, there were some some breaks in that while we were working on other projects. Um, the big part of it for me was, you know, sitting down uh, back in February and just going through hours and hours and hours and hours of footage that this photographer in our news department had captured of Lolo and then determining what we needed to do next. And one of the things that they did not really have time to explore that I felt was important was to paint the portrait of who Lolo was before Alzheimer's so you can understand really better how the disease is affecting her now. And I thought that that was critically important. So we sort of went back, and uh, her biography is a little sketchy because she's traveled around a lot, and she's had four different husbands. Um, And so it was hard to piece together that story of who she was before the onset of Alzheimer's, uh, which was uh, in 2007. So I felt it was really critical to sort of tell her life story. This is the person that she was before the disease, and this is the person she is now. And we felt it was really important to present her as a person and not just a patient. And so that was really part of our focus. And then the other piece of it was to go back and do in-depth interviews with all of her immediate family 
to get them to really to react to the footage that we captured, to react to some of her behavior, and to talk about their own observations of that and, and how it made them feel and how they coped with it and how they dealt with it. So those were the two pieces that, that I focused on trying to bring to the production. Um, and to also just sort of let the story tell itself as much as possible with uh, the footage that captured Lola's behavior and, and the family's reaction um, to her real, you know, gradual and continual decline. Wow, I, I think that was just a wonderful choice because you have to, it, it is important to know the whole person um, and the essence of them because they're still in there in so many ways and their character will come out even as the disease progresses. I, I know with my mom in her very young stages, I mean, she always likes to laugh and she loves music and and those both of those things are so powerful to be used as tools with her. Um, to create joy, and you know, it just might be that glint in the eye or a soft little giggle, um, but that's all it takes to make that connection. And um, but if somebody doesn't know that history of that person, um, you know, you, you can lose that to connect. So I, uh, I think that's fantastic that you did that in making this. What were some of your own observations of of Lolo? Well, one of them was what you just said. Um, you could see glimpses quite frequently of the person she was before. Uh, Lolo had a was a very charismatic career woman. Very, uh, the way people described her was that you know when she walked into a room, you noticed her. Um, she would always talk to everybody. Very gregarious. Very funny. Very, um, just a very strong personality and. Uh, very much a charmer, and um, you know, I didn't know her then, obviously. Um, but those were the dis- how everyone described her, and you could see that come through in her personality even now, even at 81, and 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 being ravished by this disease. You you could still see that come through from time to time, and she uses it as a coping mechanism when she can't remember something. She'll sort of ad lib and go back to being that TV personality she was back in the 60s. Um, it's, the other observation, I think, was, uh, and, and I, I know that you understand this, obviously, but that she could not, she would meet at Christmas. She walked in the door to their home and uh, greeted her grandson, and I actually timed this on the on the tape, uh, it was about a minute and 50 seconds later, um, she turned around and greeted him again. Uh, she had forgotten that she had just greeted him less than two minutes prior to that moment. And you s- would see a lot of that short-term memory loss, but she could remember uh, verbatim announcer copy that she read when she was working in television 50 years ago. And yep. I was really struck by that. The social skills are amazing to watch. I, I, I find it really fascinating. Rick, do you have some comments to add? I'd just like to say uh, what he's doing or what he has done is amazing. I, as you well know, Lori, I just embarked on this uh, venture. Um, it's going to be a year-long process documentary that we're going to be shooting. Uh, we just got the two-day trailer uh, finished up day before yesterday, and there will be some cutting and snipping on that. But... Uh, we got a camera crew come in 
couple, three times a month and, and follow me around and uh, just share the progression. But I, I certainly understand what he's talking about, Lolo, uh, the short-term memory. I, I do it constantly, and, and that's what I try to explain to people. Uh, my long-term, I can remember things that I did 30 years ago or 20 or whatever, and Phyllis Jean did, like it was yesterday. But I couldn't, just like right now, I could not tell you what I had to eat yesterday. I mean, it doesn't really matter, but that's just how this disease works. I can't. Your, your short-term memory is gone, and once it's gone, it's gone forever unless someone reminds you of it. That's just how it works. It's so strange. Sure. How, how did it feel for you, um, you know, because you're in early stages where Lolo is a little bit later um, with, her, with her shoot and stuff. How did you feel being, being followed around by the camera? Well, as strange as it may seem, I was very comfortable because – with my uh, prior speaking engagements that I've done so far, uh, I'm not a bit uh, bashful about talking about this disease, and I'm not a bit bashful about uh, bringing people into it. Uh, I believe that's the way I can bring awareness. Uh, we went into a, to a local uh, uh, department store here, and, and, of course, I had a camera crew and producer with me and stuff. And, of course, it's a local, local uh, uh, place here, and a lot of people knew me. <laughs> I would stop and shake their hand. And it captured it on tape what exactly happened. I could not remember their name, you know. I knew them, but I couldn't remember their name. And that's just how this disease works, and that's what we want to show, uh, how the disease affects me or other patients like me uh, daily, uh, in their daily life, how the struggles are. I keep telling people over and over and over, they say, you know, well, I do that or I do this, I've lost my car keys. Well, it's not like that. I I do things like that, but I do them 40, 50 times a day. The short-term memory thing is it's very frustrating. Sure. Now, um, getting back to to Cal or Quay, I'm sorry. Um, when you were doing your shoots, um, you know, I'm assuming that you kind of were just in the background. Did she really realize that the camera was there, or how um, how did that work with Lolo? She did realize the camera was there, and in fact, being an old television person, she actually played to the played to the camera <laughs> a, a pretty good bit. Uh, she was completely comfortable with it, and um, yeah, it, it, and actually, I think that made the whole process a little easier. Um, and like most people, um, you know, I've experienced this with just about everybody. After a while, they forget the camera's there, even if they are conscious of it initially, a lot of times after just a few minutes, um, and certainly if you're following them around all day, they just kind of forget the camera's there. They just stop paying attention to it. And, and over time, you know, she did that as well. Well, that's wonderful. I know just when I go to the nursing home and take pictures, you know, with my with my mom and others, you know, people who, you know, never open their eyes, you know, and are mostly sleeping, you know, you just you, you say, you know, say cheese, and they just kind of come alive. Because <laughs> you know? yeah. everybody, everybody likes someone to be paying attention to them. And and when you've got a camera, um, if it if you're doing film or if you're doing stills, you're paying attention. They're important, and and they get that. And so I think that that's very a very neat concept in and of itself um, with the process there. Um, Clay, are you are you thinking about doing any other productions? Do you have anything in mind, or um, not really on the books, or in this area? Mm-hmm. In the yeah, in the area of of um, Alzheimer's or memory loss or caregiving. 
There is nothing on in the plan right now. I mean, we um, we tackle a variety of of topics and issues in our documentaries. I'm I'm actually, and it's a wide variety. I mean, right now I'm working on a documentary about the use of antibiotics in agriculture, and so so it's quite a. Uh, I mean, the topics we cover. The, the last documentary I did before that was about a school for gang members in Durham. So we're kind of all over the map with the t- sorts of topics we cover. But I would imagine that, you know, at some point down the road, we will revisit this. Yeah, it's it's just so important. Now, if somebody wanted to um, reach out to you, if maybe they had a project in mind, is there uh, contact information you'd like to give them? Sure, absolutely. And probably the best way to do that is to um, uh, email me at my WRAL email, and that is jcjohnson at WRAL.com. Okay. J.C. Johnson, and Johnson's with an O, at WRAL.com, and that's also on our website. Um, Now, one of the things that I thought, um, you know, the film could be used for, too, is training. What are your thoughts about that? Well, absolutely. In fact, uh, our documentaries get, quite frequently used for training purposes. And I think it really, you know, it depends on the documentary, it depends on the topic, it depends on how we treat the topic. But I think absolutely there's there's uh, some value in using this. I mean, the idea of the documentary was to raise public awareness to educate people about the challenges of Alzheimer's. And, and you know, I, so absolutely it, 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 it fits a training application, I believe. Okay. Now, is it possible, you know, like I'm a speaker and trainer and stuff, um, is it kosher for me to be able to put, pull you up, um, you know, through the Internet while I'm doing a training session and, and share that um, with you? Or are you selling these? What's the process? So I'm sure there will be other people like myself out there wanting to know um, how to be able to access it and, and um, do it in a respectful fashion for, for your work. Sure. I mean, if you you are free to um, go to the website and call up the documentary and play it and use it however you like. I mean, we have a lot of people who do that. Who um, you know, if they're giving a, a speech or a presentation, uh, we'll have an AV system with an internet connection, and they'll you know project it up on the screen, and you know just go to the website and play it from the website. Um, we do, you know, we prefer that's what people do. Um, we do occasionally, if people want a DVD, if it is, uh, you know, a nonprofit or a government agency or an academic institution um, who, you know, that wants to use it for educational and training purposes, we we provide this free of charge. Okay, wonderful. Well, that's that's always good to know. Um, I have a couple more questions. I just want to ask you about the documentary. Um, in and of itself, and I was wondering if you could share with us um, if there were anything that 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 was revealed to you while doing this um, that maybe changed your perception of the disease or caregiving or connections between people, anything that kind of surprised you at all, or um, you just said, boy, this is, you know, I'm glad we did this because this is a valid point. This is This is my goal. Well, I think there were lots of little things like that. Um, 
uh, I think the cost of dementia care uh, really blew me away. I, I had no idea it was that expensive, and fortunately, the Simpsons, um, you know, have the means to keep Lolo in a dementia care facility, and a lot of that is because she had a pretty a, a pretty good retirement. Uh, plan and a pretty good retirement nest egg, but they've already burned through half of it, and it's not going to last much longer, and, uh, and you know, he's, Mr. Simpson is going to have to pick up that, it's roughly $6,000 a month. Um, the dementia care facility is $5,200 a month, and associated medical expenses about another 800 on top of that, which I, that was, I, I mean, that was a jaw dropper for me. I had no idea it was that expensive. I think, um, the other piece of it is, and this kind of goes back to the production of the program, one of the things that David wanted us to capture is the sundown syndrome. And I had not really heard about that and was not really familiar with it. Um, and he really wanted us to find a way to capture that. And so um, Lola was over at the house one night, and we put a camera in the car, he drives her, when she's over at the house visiting, he drives her back to the dementia care facility, you know, at the end of the day, late afternoon, and actually tries to get her back there before sunset. Um, in this particular case, we were leaving the house, and we were we followed in another car with a camera, uh, and we had a microphone in the car so we could hear the conversation going on between them, and it was exactly as he described. She started to become uh, agitated, um, angry, uh, short. Um, uh, she started cursing him. Um, and to hear him talk about that afterwards, and, and even though he's been putting up with this for several years now, um, and I will say they are an amazingly strong family, um, it, you know, it, you, it, you would, his eyes would still well up with tears because this is your mother talking to you, and she's saying all these awful things. And he you know, has to say, you know, he has to keep reminding himself that, you know, this is the disease talking, it's not her talking. And, you know, I, I thought that that was very, very, it was very difficult to watch. Um, it was very sad for us listening, you know, in the other car and, and, and listening to what was being said. And and uh, it, it was just one of those things that you'll just never forget. And um, you know, what else to say about infamous, it? you know, it, this disease, you know, there's so many extremely intimate moments, and when you are able to um, observe that, I mean, it's it's really an honor. I mean, because people are so vulnerable and really putting themselves out there to say, this story needs to be told. Um, people really have to understand um, this is way more than just a disease of one. You know, it's a disease of the society. And um, we really have to learn how to work together with that. So I, 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 I can't thank you enough. Mm-hmm. I think one of the, 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 one of the values of, of what we were able to capture is that it, it, this, it shows the Simpson family, you know, they didn't know what they were doing at first. And over time, they've learned how to cope with this. And you can see their coping mechanisms. For instance, when she starts rambling incoherently, not making any sense, they just play along. Um, when she says things that don't make any sense, they don't try to correct her. Um, they just go with the flow. And one of the things they do that, that I think really helps keep their sanity is that they keep a sense of humor about it. 
Um, they'll joke with her um, about her her memory loss. Sometimes they'll joke they'll joke with each other about it. Um, Dave Simpson sometimes at the dinner table will will uh, say grace and then a couple of minutes later say let's say grace just just to break the ice and, and get his family to, to to laugh a little bit. Um, and it, it was fascinating to watch how much they use humor as a as a coping mechanism. Yeah, I, I know for me personally, I use it a lot, and my my brothers don't understand it. In fact, um, one of them said, you know, how do you do that? And I'm like, what? You know, I am just have fun. I lighten up. I, 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 It's all about getting her to laugh or giggle. You know, it's it's all about her joy. It's not about... It's not about my pain, and so it's just switching what you focus on. And um, when you're able to do that, it, it just comes so naturally then, because you, you you don't feel that burden. So I I just applaud them for getting that. And Rick, I know you use a lot of humor too. Um, uh, even on memory, people they have a game night and stuff that that's played. And um, Rick is Rick's just got a great sense of humor, don't you, Rick? Well, I try to. <laughs> I try to keep it. I try to keep a light and humorous, as though you know, it's one of the most serious diseases I've ever dealt with. Uh, I, I've said often, if I was diagnosed with cancer or heart disease, people would embrace you. But as soon as the word Alzheimer's mentioned, it's like people try to talk you out of it. So it's a, it's a struggle in itself, just dealing with this disease and, and dealing with the way society accepts it. But uh, humor, he's exactly right, Clay. You're, you hit the nail on the head. Humor is. Uh, as strange as it is, it, 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 it's a big part of this disease. And uh, and you're right about Alzheimer's and how people treat it, and, and, and that's true of, of uh, all mental illness, which is unfortunate. Um, but just to give you an example, David was talking to Lolo in some of the footage we have, and, and uh, he was he asked her, he, this is, and I don't want people to get the wrong impression when they see the documentary. There's 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 plenty of places where he's quizzing her and asking her questions, and he was really doing that for our sake, just just to basically demonstrate the various levels of memory loss that she had. Um, but he asked her at one point, um, you know, "How many how many husbands have you had?" And she said two. And he said, no, I think it was four. And she goes, really? I asked him. He goes, yeah, it's four. And she goes, well, the other two weren't worth remembering anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. Even a comeback line. Well, wonderful. Yeah. Well, Clay, I can't thank you enough for being with us today. And in, in wrapping up here, do you have any words of wisdom for someone who, you know, may have been recently diagnosed with the disease or someone who is giving care to someone with memory loss after your experience with the show? I would only say what Dave said, and that would be, you know, just to do as much research as you possibly can, learn as much as you can um, about it. And uh, and have a sense of humor. Okay, wonderful. And I'm just going to have you um, rattle off again your email address if people want to get a hold of you again. Sure, it's J C Johnson. J is in John, C is in Clay Johnson at wral.com. Wonderful. Well, again, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your experience and um, for producing Lolo. I, th I think it's going to be life-changing for many, many people. And, again, awareness is the key. Um, you did a wonderful job. And um, 
Thank you so much. Thank you, and Rick, good luck with your documentary project. Okay, Clay, thank you so much, and, and I surely appreciate what you've done and what you're going to do in the future for bringing awareness to this terrible disease. Thank you much, sir. You're welcome. Great. And I'd like to ask all of our listeners um, to help us spread the word about our show. If you've enjoyed the show today, you can easily share that on our homepage with your friends, family, and coworkers just by liking us, tweeting us, or, or following us. Um, we would we would so much appreciate um, spreading the word out there because we can't do that alone. Our next show is scheduled for Friday, June 24th, and that will be at 12 p.m. Central Time. That's 1 p.m. Eastern. And I will be interviewing Dave Schufman, who is the CEO of Coral Health. And Dave um, has this incredible tool that he's actually going to share with us, and it's a high-tech, personalized music therapy called Music First. And for our listeners next week, he is going to give us a code so that people can try a free trial of it. It's basically a personalized music genre um, to help control behaviors um, from waking up to going to sleep to eating um, to calming people down, and it's quite amazing. So I would urge you to, um, to tune in next week. Um, for that show. And remember, if you're memory impaired and interested in sharing your story with the world, please email me because I'd love to talk to you and maybe maybe we can have you on as, a, as our guest here in the future. The show's purpose is, is uh, to be laid back and comfortable. Like I said, all we're doing here is talking on the phone to one another and trying to um, trying to educate people on what it's like to live with this disease. And I hope you decide to join Rick, JP, and myself in becoming advocates on steroids for Alzheimer's disease by speaking out and giving voice so others may learn. We all have so much um, to be able to teach one another um, on so many different levels. So please don't discount yourself just because you're not climbing a mountain. I'm not climbing one either. Um, It's our voice. It's our heart that can make the changes that need to be done with this disease. We look forward to um, having you come join us again next Friday. And don't forget to focus on the three simple things um, of what we create in our memory. You know, are you going to focus on what, what brings you sadness, what scares you, or what brings you joy? By focusing just on the joy you can turn a corner and make such a huge difference in your relationship with a person with memory loss and basically everybody else in your life as well because your memory is not just yours. It's shared and it's part of that ripple effect. So remember the strong effect that you have on others as well. With that, we're going to go ahead and close out with Jane. Thank you all for listening, and Rick, we'll talk to you next week. Bye now. Bye-bye. Thank you, Lori. Hi, everyone. This is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors. 
from fitness, your health and wellness journeys, how to be all over strong and beyond. I also have my mini podcast called Motivation with Meredith. It's a great, quick, motivational pick-me-up for your days. Join me. Listen now. Search for Senior Fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform.